0: Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. From the midst of great tragedy can often be found the seeds of great hope. Sometimes, this is a rebirthing of old insights, history repeating itself. War is bad, peace is good. We seem to rediscover this truth every time there's a war. Peace is good. Sometimes there's a rebirthing of energy around peace. In times of conflict, those who refuse to participate in the conflict stand out. Those who refuse to be caught up in all of the tensions of their society stand out, stand apart from what is going on. Now, Are they just more visible in times of conflict or do the forces of war actually help shape the forces of peace? This is a difficult question. In the beginning of the American Civil War, whole families would tromp out to the area around the battlefield, maybe on a hill overlooking the nice plains down below, and uh, they would take picnic lunches with them and have a a bottle of wine, in some cases, maybe sandwiches, and sit out there and be expecting an entertaining battle to take place before them. After all, war was heroic, good always triumphed over evil in all the stories, and surely our side would win dramatically. Whatever our side was at the time. Yet clearly, clearly this didn't happen. The Civil War was incredibly murky, with families divided, whole areas of the country torn up by artillery and gunfire and the implementation of total war policy. Even after it was over, the war continued to be fought in a small scale, in people's hearts and communities. Black slaves were technically freed, but still suffered oppression and intolerance, especially as so-called sunset laws. Designated housing areas and Jim Crow legislation worked at keeping black men and women from participating fully in American society. Prejudice and intolerance in the United States did not end with the end of the Civil War, though it had ostensibly been fought, at least in part, as a means to that end. And yet from it was born a peace movement that continues to this day, The Mother's Peace Movement. Started by Anne Reeves Jarvis, the original purpose of Mother's Friendship Day, as it was originally called, was to reunite families that had been divided by the Civil War. Mother's Friendship Day was to reunite families split by strong convictions on both sides. Now, it started out as... A Mother's Day work club that worked to improve sanitation for both Union and Confederate encampments undergoing a typhoid outbreak during the Civil War. Women from the surrounding area would get together and help improve the sanitation of both sides' camps so that typhoid would be less of a concern. Mother's Friendship Day led to some states recognizing Mother's Day for Peace. Mother's Day for Peace, a day when women would gather and work for the peace of the world. How, exactly? By asking their sons to lay down their weapons. By working with the temperance movement to restrict the flow of alcohol, then seen as a terrible burden in their communities. By establishing schools that would run all the way through the unheard of educational heights of ninth grade. The day it was celebrated, the day was celebrated, varied from state to state, and over time it changed. But in 1908, Anna Jarvis, daughter of Ann Reeves Jarvis, led a celebration of mothers and encouraged writing to Congress to establish it as an official holiday. 1908. West Virginia, the Jarvis's home state was the first to answer the call to do so in 1910, with many other states following it until 1914 when Congress declared it a national holiday on the second Sunday in May, Mother's Day, that we still celebrate today. All of that from working to reunite families broken by war. Blessed are the peacemakers, For they shall be called the children of God. In Greek, the word for peace is Irene, Irene, peace. We have this in English as the word, as the name Irene, Irene, Irene. Got a little bit of a different pronunciation, but it's basically the same. Peacemaker, though, which occurs exactly once in the entire Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the passage we read today. Uh, is poios, literally one who fashions peace, one who makes peace. The same word is used for potters, for sculptors, for woodworkers, who take a substance, a base material, and make something out of it. So a peacemaker then has the unenviable task of fashioning peace out of the base material of humanity. To sculpt humanity as a whole into the beautiful work of art known as peace. It's a huge collaborative project that's been running for as long as humanity has existed. It often gets torn down and refashioned again and again. But God is there looking over the whole, nudging us, shaping us to nudge and shape each other. Now, one of those ways was maybe in World War I. As many of you know, World War I was known at the time as the war to end all wars. Though this became an ironic label later on, as we know full well, war did not end with the peace accords at the end of World War I. There were many who embraced this idea that war should end following this war. One who did so was George McLeod a Scottish officer in the British Army who saw action in France during the war. John Philip Newell describes his conversion experience this way. A turning point came toward the end of the war when he was traveling by train close to the front lines. The railway carriage was filled with soldiers, some of whom who had been wounded in conflict. It was here that Macleod experienced the presence of Christ not as separate from the woundedness and struggle all around him, but within the brokenness and the pain. Macleod, always a man of action, immediately knelt, knelt down where he was, surrounded by his fellow soldiers in the crowded train car, and gave himself to Christ. After the war, he trained for the Church of Scotland ministry. During these years, he increasingly began to see the connection between commitment to the way of Christ and commitment to peacemaking. No longer a soldier of the British army, Macleod now spoke of himself as a soldier of Christ. To follow Christ was to follow Christ's way, the way of nonviolence. Macleod would go on to rebuild the abbey on the island of Iona. And dedicate it to being a place of peace and reconciliation. Reconciliation with God and other people. McLeod saw everyone as being a part of God's body. And as such, if we harm anyone, we are harming a part of ourselves. Even more so, we are harming the part of ourselves in which the divine dwells. If we harm anyone else, we harm ourselves and the divine He therefore greeted people, it is said, not with hello or hi or hey, how are you, but with the question, do you believe in nonviolence? It was said he was very aggressive in his commitment to nonviolence. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Our story from Acts shows that this impulse toward peace is not a new one. Paul, now on his second journey in his ministry for God, has traveled to Philippi, a Macedonian colony now thoroughly on its way to being Romanized. He and his traveling companions are arrested for healing a slave of a possessing spirit and are beaten by a mob worked into a frenzy by the owner of the slave who believes that his livelihood has been taken from him. They were thrown into prison, and to make sure they didn't escape, they were chained together. And their feet placed between heavy wooden or even stone blocks with holes just large enough for their ankles to fit through. So what did they do? What would you do if you were beaten and forced into a prison for preaching the good news? Well, I imagine the first thought on our minds wouldn't have been what they actually did, which was to sing hymns while imprisoned, to pray and share the good news with those around them. They had the other prisoners praying with them. And then at midnight, there was an earthquake that Luke tells us, somewhat amazingly, shook the prison to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Including, it would seem, the heavy stocks that had been placed around their ankles. This is miraculous. This is something that doesn't just happen in a moment. Now, the jailer, the one who put them in this inner dungeon, in these heavy stocks, is terrified. Under Roman law, anyone who escapes, uh, their punishment is given to the jailer that was responsible for them. This entire prison open, that's a lot of punishments going to the one jailer. And so he wails in fear and draws his sword, but the prisoners cry out, we're all still here. Despite having the ability to escape, they have remained so as to not do undue, uh, unjust violence to their jailer. As a result, the jailer and his whole family praise God and accept the good news that Paul and company brought with them. But Paul and company, this does seem to be an ongoing theme, Paul and company don't accept their second opportunity to leave. Twice now they've been offered an opportunity to leave the prison, and when in the morning the city officials declare them to be free, they make the officials come to them in person and apologize for how they were treated, make the officials recognize the injustice of their condition, and thus set the stage for further reconciliation. For further peace. It would have been so easy for Paul, Silas, and the rest to fight back either individually against the mob or to make snide comments and attack the jailer once the jail was opened. Violence, whether verbal or physical, would have been most people's answer to the condition they found themselves in. Instead, they overcame evil with good. And helped bring reconciliation and peace to a community that clearly needed it. This is the allure of nonviolence. It is simultaneously the simplest and most difficult path. And it can help shape the condition of humanity well beyond the direct influence of those who practice it. Paul and Silas practiced nonviolence And their influence is felt beyond just the jailer and the family, in the entire community. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Shirley Guthrie summarizes Christian pacifism and nonviolence elegantly in his book, Christian Doctrine. He writes, why? Why this pacifism of Jesus and his followers? Its purpose is not the preservation of their own moral purity and superiority. They are pacifists because they do not hate, maim, and slaughter, but love their enemies. Because the kingdom of God's justice and compassion comes not through violence, but through self-giving, sacrificial love. Unrealistic? Dangerous, subversive, of course, we are talking about holiness, not conforming to the generally accepted ways of the world, but being transformed. We are talking about being in, but not of, the world. The point is not to argue for pacifism in principle or to say that there are no conditions under which the use of force may be legitimate and necessary to defend the victims of injustice or for the sake of order, justice, and peace in society, for instance. But it is to ask seriously whether, at the very least, Christians should not give sympathetic support to those who follow, quite literally, the commandments of Jesus himself. And whether, even if they cannot be pacifists themselves, nonviolence, including nonviolent resistance, ought not seem the normal rather than the exceptional way of handling personal and social conflict. Nonviolence ought to be the normal way of handling conflict. Oh, for a world in which that is true, may we get there one day. Let us work for peace, for reconciliation, for mercy, for justice, for wholeness among God's body in the world. Where the body is crumbling and falling apart, let's shore it up. Where the body is tearing itself apart, let's work to bring it back together. The work of fashioning peace from the base material of humanity is ongoing. Let us be part of the solution and lift up peacemakers. Lift up peacemakers so that their work and ours can have its widest impact. Whether you are mother, minister, prophet, prisoner, or whatever person God has called you to be, fashion peace wherever you can, knowing God will direct and empower your efforts. May you, as a child of God, shelter in the shalom of God. May Christ, the Prince of Peace, lead you in fashioning peace. May the Holy Spirit spread nonviolence in your life and through the world. Amen.